even for those of us who are introspective and work on our psychology and all that, the psychological entity, the I, the ego, the self, is an irrational construct. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of Our Undoing Radio Season 5. Season 6 will not start immediately after this, unfortunately, although I have started taping for it, so um, it'll be back in a few weeks, and it will definitely be back, so great news. Other great news, um, I wasn't planning on even doing an intro to this episode, but I didn't realize I ended up launching my new book, I am to tell you this, and I am to tell you it is fiction. I launched it today, so what a coincidence. <laughs> the radio show is uh, going on hiatus for a few weeks, and the book is coming out all on the same day. Um, so for those of you familiar with my work, this book uh, really bridges urgency with I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land and takes us beyond them. For those of you who don't know what that means... Uh, it is a book that is bringing us beyond non-duality. So, is that possible? Well, arguably, this episode is a small sliver of an example of that. What do I mean? Let's get to it and find out. I am to tell you this, and I am to tell you it is fiction is available in paperback and on the Kindle. In this here episode of Our Undoing Radio is coming at you right now. Lying down on a bench in the gazebo on a beautiful, cool, windy day. One eye on the ceiling, the other eye on the sky. Clouds whizzing by. Didn't mean for this to start out poetry, but there it is. Clouds whizzing by makes it feel like I'm moving, but of course I'm not moving. It's the illusion of movement because there I am lying down. It's just a trick of where the eyes are applying themselves. Or is it? Because I'm on Mother Earth and Mother Earth is spinning super fast and she's whizzing through space presumably hurling away from our origins in the way that we hurl away from our origins. Are we a mental representation of the physical, or is the physical a representation of formless awareness? Lying there, thinking about where I'm going in my life. Am I going anywhere? doesn't feel like I am. I think I'm at a halt. But I'm not, because... I'm going to die someday. I am growing. I am going somewhere. Even if I don't feel like I'm going somewhere, I'm going somewhere. Even if I don't feel like I'm physically moving, I'm moving. It's just a matter of perspective. Do you identify with the personal or do you identify with the impersonal? The personal, of course, is me lying there thinking about my life. And the impersonal is that in which I am embedded in doing this which has its own movement. But that movement is also my movement, whether I'm pondering that movement or not. My movement, personally, is not that movement, either way. 
Isn't that interesting? And if I pick an answer, am I going somewhere? Am I moving or not? If I pick an answer, either answer, again, is a perspective, but it's not absolute. The only absolute thing is questioning. The question of movement is the absolute answer to movement. Now, I've got to say that only part of this story is true. Most of it. The only part that isn't true is that I was lying there pondering my life and wondering if it was going anywhere. I added that uh, so that I could get to an example of the personal. What I was really doing on the gazebo is what I usually do when I go out there. Meditate. My meditation is not your meditation, most likely. My meditation is simply allowing kundalini to come alive and maneuver the body in the ways that it does, which feel good and are ultimately healthful. If I have a back issue, it'll find a way to solve it. Through exercises and energy works, I don't quite understand, but don't need to. So even this story is both personal and impersonal. It's me talking about myself, but really it's for you. There's that thing again about the impersonal. And in fact, the kundalini energy, uh, you could argue that it formulated this story for me to come and record because what it did next, and this is true, is it walked me out of the gazebo and walked me back to the house, and here I am recording this. I had this fully fleshed out recording ready to go, and it was like this pressing need to come do it, to do this episode and talk about this. And so here I am. Kundalini energy, by the way, is both personal and impersonal, right? It's you and it's not you at the same time. The not you feeling is the impersonal, but it's all you. It's just that you as a personal entity aren't all of you, but you as a personal entity believe that that is all of you. But the impersonal you, which includes meaning, love, truth, nature, and the very physics of the universe, these are all of you, and you are they. I don't know if I'm making this clear, so let me try again. The impersonal exists without you, but you don't exist without it. The personal is you and your society, your social structures and systems. And when they get wiped out, the world still turns. When you die, the world still lives. But you cannot exist without the world and her systems. Now, it is within the egoic death, within the egoic uh, personal sense of self-death, that one comes to know that they are the impersonal, that they are the world. They are nature. They are the universe and its physics exploding into existence. They are truth. Love. The meaning behind it all. These groupings of impersonals are you. And when personal self isn't there... They are self. When you don't live in that space of egoic death, of personal death, where the impersonal comes to the fore, then you live in theory. These things become theoretical. They become, they become things you talk about, like, for instance, your higher self, or a soul, or something like that in a hypothetical that doesn't really feel real, the real feeling is that you're you and that's it. 
But when one is Kundalini alive, one knows more of oneself. It's tempting to say one knows all of oneself. But even that isn't true because one is still filtering through the lens of two. Kundalini and me. Even though I know I am that, even though there's a feeling of I am that, there's still also, right beside it, the feeling that I'm not. Because this is how oneness gets broken up in time. This is how the timeless becomes time. It becomes separate identities. And I am, if nothing else, living in time. (laughs) So there's that. Also, the fictional part of the story where I uh, am pondering my life and if I'm going anywhere, well, that happened out on the gazebo, me imagining that as part of the story. And so if Kundalini is writing the story, then you can blame Kundalini, not me. Blame impersonal me, not personal me. Your Honor, I didn't do it. I did. Let's see that fly in a court of law. Every now and then I think to ask the Kundalini energy a question. Uh, and as I was uh, letting it get revved up, um, I, I asked in my mind, what do you mean to you of the Kundalini energy? And there was no answer forthcoming. There was no smile on my face or a little giggle or any indication that this question was received. And then I thought about, well, maybe nothing is the answer. Ooh, nothingness. But even that felt like, no, that's not really it. But then as I was walking back and this episode was unfolding in my head, uh, and I was thinking about the part where I say to you, my meditation isn't the same as your meditation. What ran through my mind was because I am what wholeness looks like reflecting upon itself. And I don't know what you are. I can't know what you are, such as the filter of our personal selves. I was tempted not to include that line at all because it sounds so self-aggrandizing or authoritative, and I don't feel comfortable with that coming from me in the context of this show. But I had a feeling that that wasn't really personal me even thinking that. Maybe it was self-aggrandizing personal me. I mean, maybe that. But um, I had the feeling that that might be an answer from Kundalini in the form of the impersonal aspect of self. Originally, when I was going to do this episode, uh, it was going to be, you know, riffing on the rational, irrational thing from the Karens episode. And, um, and... Essentially, that is what this is. But out there in the gazebo, I got a bit of a deeper notion that I want to put out there than what I was going to say. Uh, Because what I was going to say, and what I was going to say, I don't think was bad. I don't think it was not deep. (laughs) I just think this is this is one louder. This one goes to eleven. Spinal Tap fans. Um. Because originally, uh, what I was going to talk about, and am now, uh, is that we, we think things are either rational or irrational. They're either logical or illogical. It's one or the other. But is there a space where it's both? Um, 
you know, when we talk about the transrational, that which transcends and includes the rational, clearly that which transcends and includes understands that it's both. From that point of view, both are happening at the same time, whatever the transcendent thing is. Um, as rational beings, we can't really know that. We can only suppose that it's irrational. So either poo-poo it, maybe it's silly, maybe it sounds stupid or something to us, or we can go, oh yeah, I see your point, I get that, but it's still a hypothetical, it's not It's not lived experience, it's not living experience for us, with us, in us, as us. But there are examples where this is true for us. Uh, the Kundalini, for me, is, is that example. Um, we talked a little bit about alien abductions earlier in an earlier episode. And that's an example of something that looks rational on the surface. Looks like what it is. But then you dig, just do a little digging and you realize, no, this is illogical. This is not... This narrative doesn't fit what's really happening here. It just has, much like a, <laughs> a QAnon conspiracy theory, it has a bunch of dots that if you look at them really quickly, you might think they all uh, fit together to form a pattern, but that's just your uh, putting them into that pattern. That's your, you know, your prejudgment and your wanting to have an answer and have control of that answer. Um, so you put them in that pattern and you say, Oh, aliens, that makes sense. But does it really, it doesn't make sense. The more you look at what's going on there. I mean, nor does the psychological fantasy proneness answer. Although that's true sometimes, but I, I, I would find it hard to believe that a psychologist when presented with, um, an honest person's experiences who is of sound judgment and mind versus a fantasy proneness experience, they would see the clear difference between those two. It's only when they're lazy and not looking that they go, oh, it's all fantasy proneness. Same way that when we're lazy and not looking, we go, oh, it's aliens in ufology. Or I guess if all that's too esoteric for you, we could just go with uh, you. You as an adult, you look at children who you formerly were one of, and you can understand their irrationality. You can under you can contextualize them because you transcend and include them. You were them. Hopefully, you've shirked off, got rid of, worked through whatever uh, any of the unhealthy aspects of being a child, any of the aspects that would be unhealthy as an adult. You've worked those through. Hopefully, um, so you have truly transcended and included. But. Um, I mean, that's a way to see it, right? Like there's this irrational, out-of-control, hyper-imagining part that doesn't understand things, that puts things together in a certain way, um, that only as you're older you can see the error of your ways. Or you can see why you did it. It's not even, it's not like you could have helped it as a kid. That's just what children do. And you understand that as an adult. In any event, I was going to, I think, talk about that space where the rational and the irrational meet. Uh, and if there are beings, if there's an intelligence that speaks a language from there, and if we are ultimately to wake up to our full sense of self and therefore speak a language from there, 
um, don't we have to, you know, like, I mean, how long can we go on and pretend that we understand things from a point of view of study? Don't we have to be it eventually? How do you study Kundalini without just opening yourself to it in the same way that, that psychedelic researchers study psychedelics, but they never actually do psychedelics. That seems, uh, fraudulent in, in that sense, because that's something you could just do. You just take them and find out for yourself and, you know, but it's, it's the same thing all the way around here in, in this space of is, isn't this space of rational, irrational or rational, transrational. Uh, if we can be, transrational, then don't we have to be transrational? Don't we have to get there? But perhaps when we turn it around and talk about the personal impersonal, it's easier to see that we are already that. We already are that transrational, transpersonal being, whether we know it or not. So, we're working that in the world unconsciously, whether we know it or not, you know, whether we're, even though we're not conscious of it, in other words. And I think this is the thing that came to me out there on the gazebo to come in here and jot down verbally as it were that all of this stuff we've been talking about from QAnon to Karen's <laughs> from, you know, uh, just the, 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 the civil unrest to uh, COVID mask scares. Like, we don't want to wear COVID masks. Uh, All of that, all of the above, is irrational. It's not transrational, it's irrational. It's, and we've talked about this before, it's the falling away of the rational. We talked about this in the Karen episode, right? Like, once your rational foothold the illusion of, of rationality, the illusion of control, the illusion of uh, systems that just are there and work. Once the illusion of all that folds in on itself, crumbles, you have a real crisis of psyche because you've built your sense of self on those things, on those external systems and the internal cues from mom and dad and whatever else. I mean, all of this stuff, when it leaves you, when it says goodbye, who are you left with? You're left with this type of sort of temporary insanity or maybe almost akin to a midlife crisis. That's not Mother Earth hurling an iceberg at our house. It's fake news from the deep state trying to control us. Right? COVID's not a disease. It's a CIA PSYOP to control us. Everything's to control us. That way we can have a controller who we're in on, and then we're controlling the controller in our heads where this is all taking place. I don't know what the psychologists would call it, but you're left with something that isn't what you were just a moment before. You can't quite hold it together. (laughs) And we are indeed living in a world now where we can't quite hold it together. Not environmentally, in the physical, not in the mental sphere, in the social. No one's come to save us through the religions. I mean, none of this stuff has come true. None of our tooth fairies have put coins under our pillows, right? 
So what are we to do? We can't just grow out of it because we're already adults. The concrete ways in which we learned the world works are what we grew into. Racist, not racist, sexist, not sexist. Who cares? It's dependable. That's what matters. But now it's not. So what happens next? What happens is, and what is happening is, the impersonal comes to the fore. This is the collapse of the personal. Personal to humans, anyway. Personal to Western civilization, maybe more specifically. That which is personal to Western civilization, that which is Western civilization, is collapsing. And the environment is uh, reforming, restructuring, in part based on the damage we've done. So you could say we've collapsed that as well. So what's, what's going on is the impersonal isn't taking over. But the personal has collapsed and revealed the impersonal machinations, that the impersonal is there. And we want to call it a hidden hand. We want to say, oh, that's God, or oh, that's aliens, or whatever it is that's uh, sort of puppeteering us in some way. Or the conspiracy theorist wants to blame, you know, some elite group of people who really control things. But this is just scrambling, again, for an answer for some sense of control where we can go, aha, now we can do something about this or we can attach our feelings to something. We can have an anchor point for how we feel in this collapse. We got someone to blame and rail against. But really, it's the impersonal. And the impersonal and personal are both ultimately you with a capital Y, not you, the small Y, not personal you, obviously. So, even though personally things seem to be out of control, uh, civilization itself seems to be out of control. We're seeing the underpinnings of organization in the chaos. Because the chaos is all of our personal stuff, but the organizational stuff goes on. The human collective organizational stuff collapses, and the impersonal organizational stuff keeps on stuffing. Right? And unfortunately, I guess I haven't made this point clear. Uh, the organizational stuff for us is the stuff that's collapsing us. <laughs> is, you know, Mother Earth, the environment. It's when we say we're living in the consequences of what we've done, the systems we've built, the lies we've told ourselves. What that means is there is an ending to those. And we're at the end of those being able to work, the personal. But that doesn't mean that everything just vanishes because there's still the impersonal. And the impersonal, if it's not lined up with the personal, if they are not one and the same, if you are not consciously living the impersonal. And another word for that would be truth or love or wholeness which sound like real personal words, and they should because they should be you, not be what personal you is doing sometimes while also destroying the world and causing war, but that should be you. When that is not you, it is working in the world and as the world, and you are working in the world and as the world, personal and impersonal. You're the one splitting it up. 
And you're the one living in the personal. With the impersonal being like a bunch of ideals. And a bunch of things that you kind of, feelings that you slip in and out of. And then you just go, oh, well, that's human nature. Well, that which you've called human nature is coming to an end. But impersonal nature carries on, carries out, and includes you. It may not include personal you. It won't include the systems that uh, are broken and not working and are at the end of themselves, which we just said are you. So that aspect of you, that unhealthy, broken, ending thing, that is going to go the way of the dodo bird. Will you replace it with something else? That's one question. And the answer depends on whether or not you allow your sense of self, you, whether or not you see all of this so thoroughly that not that you allow yourself to die inwardly, but that you just see it so thoroughly that there's no other choice that the self does die inwardly. Not physically, not suicide, but die inwardly. Does the self do this on its own, seeing its own futility? Seeing its own, the mistake of itself? If not, then you're going to, because you're still broken up, personal and impersonal, you're going to start seeing solutions from the impersonal. You're going to start seeing maybe even religious solutions. You're going to start seeing other ways of being, other systems you could build, new gods to worship, whatever it is. You're going to see an other, an outside answer that you can internalize, that you can take a bit of, you can feel something about, and hold the rest up as ideals. And go, we should strive to be this, to do this. This is our new system of freedom. Which is no freedom at all. It's another cage. And your prison sentence may be so long that you don't realize you're in a cage anymore. And in fact, you probably won't care that you are in a cage because you'll feel the sweet relief of having the known, <laughs> having something to, to look forward to, to, to strive for, a goal, a future. You can rebuild better, stronger, smarter. That's one way to go. The other way to go is silence. That silence is its own movement, which sounds contradictory when, again, you're living in the world of broken up, separate, dichotomous things. If you weren't, you would see that none of this is God. None of this is alien. None of this is magic. None of this is channeling. None of this is other. It's all you and just a matter of how conscious you are. And when we say that, it sounds judgmental because we often say it and mean it judgmentally. When we say that, it sounds like you're lesser than someone because we often say it and mean that you're lesser than me. When we hear it, it sounds like there's some higher thing to be, some higher expression of you. And that's usually how it's sold to you. But really, we're talking about holy conscious, holy living versus 
partial living, and imagining the rest. And when we live in brain, when we live in logic and reason mode, that self, that defense, that person has moments of heart, but ultimately does relegate things to the imagination. Things that are not the rational, things that are, and that is to be poo-pooed. But then there are people who live sort of in between heart and brain. They're more hearty, but but they're uh, still placing things in the imaginal realm, superstitions and things like this. It's just that they believe they're true. If you're a full heart person, you know that some things can be true. Some magics are true. Some intelligences that are out there are real. But you know this because of trial and error. It's available to you, and so you know it in the way that science and math are available to scientists and mathematicians. And, you know, understanding good art from bad is available to an artist. You know, these types of things. Uh, It's similar. So coming from heart fully is the healthy place to be to ultimately inwardly die from. It's not that you can't do it from brain. It's not that you can't do it from that in-between place, but you won't know what the hell is happening when you come back. It'll all go into this imaginary context. And the great inkblot test for that is uh, psychedelics. Some people come back and formulate systems. They tell you how it really is and what they saw and what it meant and all of that. And then some people are taken in by all the wow, isn't this neat, all this fantastic stuff, and I wonder what else we can do in this self-adventure. I'm not so sure anyone from a heart culture takes a psychedelic trip um, for a vacation or to do anything but understand fully whatever it is they've set out to learn. But what do I know? I'm not, I'm not from there, so that's a guess. I'm also going to go out on a limb and guess that some of you who have been listening to this entire episode keenly are confused because I've been talking about the personal and the impersonal and mixing up talking about the physical and the mental, talking about what's happening with society, with what's happening with the environment, talking about different versions of the same thing without a care that I'm doing that. Now, how could that be unless I'm just sloppy? Which is a safe bet, by the way. But (laughs) it could also be (laughs) that these are all us. And these are all part of the necessary illusion. We've talked about that term before, right? And so let's take a moment here to go back to something that I was going to talk about in a different context when I originally wanted to do this episode before meditating out on the gazebo, which is that at the end of the day, the child's basic question that haunts a parent is the correct question. Why? They just keep repeating it over and over, right? Why, why, why? And When it comes to the foundations, the so-called foundations of reality itself, the physics of it, 
the answer is just because. Right? Like, eventually a parent just says it. Oh, just because. Oh, I don't know. Just shut up. But that just because is actually true. And you wouldn't know that by talking to a physicist, for instance. We've got all these theories. We've got these things that we can see under a microscope. All of these particles. We've got all of these inferences of particles and waves from you know, reactions to stimuli. And even though the object itself is invisible, the reaction is there so we can infer that the object is there. But why is it working that way? Why is gravity working the way it does? Why is the earth spinning? Why is it hurling through space? Why is there this meaty body lying down on a gazebo thinking anything at all? And the scientific answer is to sort of backtrack and build up a case. Well, this plus this equals this, and then this happened, and then these things combined to make this, and because of these pressures and these forces, but where did those forces come from? Well, you see, they came from the vacuum, from before the Big Bang, from the blah, 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 blah. Sense gives way to nonsense. The rational gives way to the irrational. But the rational people don't want to see that. <laughs> they want to avoid it at all costs. And they can, because the more they look, the more there is to see. The more you ask why, the more answers appear. Oh, this is why. Oh, this is why. Oh, this is why. Oh, this is why. And you you keep thinking you're going to refine it down to a final answer, and there never is a final answer. There's always just this necessary illusion of more. The, The illusion of a forward movement of evolution by creating more in the past to look at through observing and asking. That's the real magic here behind this illusion. It's not that these things aren't there to see and figure out. It's that by looking, you're creating them because you got to have something to see. And so at the end of the day, the question why is still the pertinent question. Why? And because you keep looking and finding, your answer is never going to be, I don't know, just because. You're always going to have something to know, and you're always going to have a cause. And because the world really does coalesce around that and really does work that way, you're going to say that you are rational, and the irrational person who believes in unicorns and Trump is a hero of children, in other words, a nonsense, irrational answer that does not work, while you believe in a rational answer that does work, you think you're on to something here. At least you've got the right mind to tackle this question. But what you don't understand is that there's two types of irrational. That which transcends and includes the rational, which you don't understand. That's the question why. And the bogus nonsense. The answer that this is how it works, and it never even looked like it worked that way let alone did for a while. And that's the loony version of irrational. So getting back to impersonal forces. Oh yeah. Remember those? They're part of the necessary illusion. Just as you are. So what does waking up to that really mean? What does it mean to be fully conscious, to be wholly alive 
to be living as the impersonal, which includes the personal, transcends and includes the personal. Are you still an illusion at that point? Are you still part of the necessary illusion? Is there more waking? Is there more growing? You could go crazy thinking about it. Of course, people who are ill-equipped to think about it are already going crazy, aren't they? It's a mad, mad, mad world, baby. I'm just here to look at the sky. What are you here to do? Anything? And is that anything at the expense of the fullness of being shining through you, as you, right now? <laughs>